What a tremendous Sunday we have had, and we're so thankful to um, continue on with uh, our teaching series that we are calling This Is Us. Here's a few things to uh, kind of set us into motion. Today we are going through uh, the personality type nine, peacemaker. Last week was the challenger, the number eight. Today is number nine, the peacemaker. Uh, and if for some reason you weren't, weren't here uh, just a few weeks ago as Neil opened up this teaching series, I would highly encourage you to go back and take a look at that 25-minute message. kind of gives you the setup for uh, what we are doing in this teaching series. Also, uh, if you have not taken the survey online, you can go to our website, cvchurch.org, and take this assessment. It doesn't take you very long, but this will help you jump into the conversation. It won't tell you exactly who you are. That'll require some reading and some discovery on your part, but it's a great starting point, so we encourage you to go out and do that. Um, uh, and then uh, also Supergroup. For those who are not in a group, we realize that there are some of you who are new uh, to Cedar Valley Church. Uh, maybe you're just new, you just kind of came upon us in, in the fall, or maybe you didn't have time to get into a life group. For whatever reason, you find yourself outside of a life group, a godly community. Supergroup was designed specifically for you. We'd love to have you all be there this Wednesday, 6.45 until 8 o'clock. We'd love to have you come, be a part of that discussion. We sit in circles, we share one with another. And we will go through some of the content of this series. So we invite you to come and be a part um, of that. The last thing there is the trap. That is the why to this teaching series. And so today, as I said, we are going to work through the third message of this 10-week uh, series. And we're going to look at the scriptures. And then we are going to use the scriptures to look at ourselves. And that's really the purpose of the Word of God, right? Is that the scriptures would help us take a good, accurate look uh, at ourselves. And you know what we aim to do is we aim to put into practice what the Bible says. So it's not just about acquiring knowledge and gaining more knowledge. No, we actually want to set out and apply the knowledge. We want to put the scripture into play uh, on an everyday basis. And so we are on a journey here at Cedar Valley uh, we're on a journey to be more like Jesus. How many would say, I am on a personal journey to be more like Christ? That's exactly what we're doing. We are on a journey to be more like Christ, and we know that is what it means to be a Christian. It, it means that we want to be more like Christ. So we are studying the Bible first and foremost in this series, and we are using a tool called the Enneagram. And so this tool is used in Christian universities and churches all over the world, and I can attest that it is very helpful. I myself am new to this tool. I'm not, I wasn't very familiar with it until I came to Cedar Valley. That tool has uh has truly helped me very much in my discovery as I read to learn more about myself. I truly have come to appreciate this tool. It's one that we use in Next Step 3 uh, every single month. Uh, also, our team created, many of you have this, the guide. This guide is meant to help us in our groups. And so you know, we have groups that meet every night of the week all throughout the cities. I think it's so cool to know that every single night people from Cedar Valley Church are gathered together in homes praying one for another, praying for the city. This guide is meant to empower group leaders as they guide us, right? Our shepherds of the house. And this book was made in-house. We have such a fantastic communications and creative team. And this resource has been made available to all of those um, who are in groups. We're getting fantastic reports of great discussion uh, taking place in our groups. All right, so the story begins with a scene where Jesus is teaching in the temple in Jerusalem, and he is teaching, he is using parables to teach. And in the audience are two different groups. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And for the most part, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have a lot in common, very self-righteous, 
very much traditional, very much religious, but there are some differences, and it's important to maybe know what some of those are. The Pharisees, uh, they believe in the Torah. They also believe in the letters written by the prophets. They, they, they believe what the, pro- the, the, the books, the prophets' books that they wrote. The Sadducees, however, they kind of just hold on to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. One commentator wrote that the Sadducees never had a hard time uh, doing away with something written in the Torah. So if they just didn't like it for convenience, they would kind of do away with that particular thing. So they kind of did what they wanted. Sadducees were known to be very, very wealthy um, the, you know, the Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in heaven or hell or demons and angels. Whereas the Pharisees, they did believe in the supernatural. They did believe in angels and demons and heaven and hell. Nonetheless, they're all sitting there listening to Jesus teach. I don't think they're there with good motives. They're actually there in, a, in an attempt to cause Jesus to stumble over his own words, to turn himself against himself. They're there to trap Jesus. And so just as Jesus kind of uh, gives it to the Sadducees, if you will, silence their argument, the Pharisees go out into the lobby of the temple and they come together with the idea of what's one question that we could ask Jesus that would cause him to stumble. How can we trap Jesus? How can we get him to go against what he is teaching? And so as they come to a conclusion and get their question, they walk out of the lobby and into the place where Jesus is teaching. And how I imagine them is the one who's been elected by the others to be the voice, the one who will present Jesus with the question. He walks into the room and he adjusts his collar and clears his throat. Jesus, the question that we'd like to ask, we, the Pharisees, would like to ask you, of the 613 commandments listed in the law, which one stands at the top. Which one would you say ranks as the number one commandment? Thinking that they would have Jesus trapped with this question, let's take a look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first And the greatest commandment. And before he could take a breath and before the Pharisees could even react, Jesus continued to say, a second is equally important. It's actually not just one, it's two. And the second one is equal to the first one. And that is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Another translation says that the entire law hinges on these two. In essence, you're used to this because our teacher, he teaches this way. He gives us at the end of his message, he always ends with the big so what. So the big so what of the Old Testament, if you will, of the law would be this, loving others is as important as loving God. They go into the temple where Jesus is teaching, and as they try and attempt to trap Jesus, Jesus actually pulls out of his back pocket a big so what? You must have been asleep. I've been teaching on this. So just to kind of give it to you one more time, boom, there it is. Loving others is as important as loving God. If I would have been in that room that day, had I been listening to Jesus teach, maybe some who were there that day were also listening to him teach. And maybe you yourself may have had this question. The question that I would have asked would be this. How can I more effectively love my neighbor? See, this is the call that we all have as followers of Christ. Jesus has called us all to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind 
and to also love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is the mission that every single Christian has. If you're here today and you wonder at times, what is my purpose? What did you call me to do, God? If you're unsure of what that is, a good starting point would be love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as you love yourself. That is a call that every follower of Christ wears. That is the mission. That is the bullseye goal for every person sitting in this room today or watching online who would say, I want to be more like Christ. Do you want to be more like Christ? Is that something that often is in your mind and heart? Jesus, I want to be more like you. Because this teaching series truly is all about wanting to be more like Christ. I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to demonstrate those godly characteristics in my life everywhere that I go. I want to love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, soul, and mind. And I want to love other people the way that I love myself. This series is going to help us. It is going to help us to create some self-awareness so that we can relate to each other more effectively. That's the point. That's why we want self-awareness. I want to be more self-aware so that I can better and more effectively relate to other people. I also want to love each other more effectively. I want to love other people more effectively. That will require some self-examination. My friends, we are on a journey together as a church to be more like Jesus, to be more like Christ, to be a, a light that shines brightly in this world. Would you stand to your feet as we get ready to read through our text for the day, which is found in Genesis chapter 13, verse 5 through 9. Genesis 13, verse 5 through 9. And I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And it says this, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At the time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. Verse 9, The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate if you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll take uh, the land on the left. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We stand in reverence to you, God, knowing that this is just not written by man. This is truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, this is your holy word, God, and we believe that it is alive and active and penetrates to the deepest parts of our souls. So, Lord, we just pray that you would be with us today. We pray first that you would just, you know, just somehow, God, rid us of our distractions for a moment so that we can clearly hear your voice. Lord, lead us to a place of transformation today. Challenge us in a way like only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray and together. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as we take a look at this verse, we'll start with the first verse that we read, which would be verse uh, number five. It says, Lot who was traveling with Abram, had also become wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. I think it's important to note, first of all, that this is the same Abraham uh, that we read about in the Bible. Abram, his name was changed later to Abraham. As we read through this story, his name is still Abram. His name Abram means exalted father. When his name is changed by God, it's changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, we're all familiar with Abraham. If you were raised in the church, you know the song Father Abraham, right? So we're aware that this is Abraham, the patriarch of, uh, of patriarchs. This is Abraham, the father of Isaac, who's the father of Jacob. 
If you look through the first chapter of Matthew, as Matthew lists the genealogy of Jesus, you will see that it starts with Abraham. And I think it's also important to note that Abraham has been called by God to leave his hometown, to leave his family, to leave his father's home, because God has a promise for him. This is not a story about Lot. Lot is in the story, um, but, but this story is not about Lot. Abram has invited his nephew Lot. Lot lost his father as a young man, and so perhaps maybe Abram just sees his brother in his son Lot and invites him to come along on this journey that God has called him to be. But let me just remind you of what it was God promised to Abram. God said to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt or disdain or hatred. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All, every follower of Christ. We are all seed of Abraham. We are all the seed of Abraham. He is the father of the multitude. So at the age of 75 years old, God calls Abram to pack it all up and head off to uh, a new land. By a showing of hands, if you're comfortable and courageous, if you're around the age of 75, would you just raise your hand if you're, if you're around the age of 75, around the age of 75, I know 75 years old, could you just imagine the whisper of the Holy Spirit coming to you at the age of 75 and saying, I need you to pack up everything you have. And I know at 75 years old, you've accumulated a lot. You have become probably pretty settled. Uh, your house is probably fitted for the grandkids. And, and, and now God's calling you to pick up. And maybe it'd be like you're going to go from Minnesota to a beautiful land where it's flowing with milk and honey called the state of New Mexico. And I want you to go and take your stuff. And y'all know if you've never been to New Mexico, it's the, I mean, it's just beautiful northern New Mexico. God's calling Abram to this. He invites Lot to come on the journey um, with them. And then as they are on this journey, the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So God calls Abram, an already wealthy man who has accumulated a lot, and he brings his nephew Lot. And now that they've been together for some time, now both have become wealthy, both have accumulated a lot, and they both have lots of flocks and herds living close together. So there's now too much animal, not enough grass. Too much people, not enough space. That's the reality of what's taking place, right? So we continue in the story, and this is what happens. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At the time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. So where they are, uh, as we said, there's just not enough land. There's just not enough grass. There's too much, too many animals, too, too many people, not enough tents, not enough grass, not, not enough. And so now there's disputes that are taking place between Abram and, and Lot. And, and so, in essence, this is like a family feud. And, and now we can kind of relate a little bit, right? When the company comes over and they stay after a few days, you're like, it's time to go. It was nice while it lasted. It's time to go. You know, like it happens to all of us. That's what's happening with Abram and Lot. There's just not enough space for all the people. Not only are Abram and Lot at odds with each other, but now they're people, they're herdsmen, they're workers, right? They're, they're traveling with people, they're animals, and now they are getting into disputes. And then the Bible puts in parentheses that uh, at the same time that this is happening, they're sharing land with the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And just, just a snapshot into them, the Canaanites and the Perizzites are a very wicked people. They are very wicked, very sexually immoral. They have horrible practices, things like, like you know, uh, sacrificing children. Uh, just, just they're everything God is not, and and they're they're in this land. So so now there's a tension there with within the heart of 
Abram, a 75-ish year old man who has a dispute with a nephew. There's 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 tension with all the people while 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 being viewed by these 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 you know these spectators, if you will. Like you know, like at a football game, there's all these people in the stands and they're looking at the field where all the action is. So so they're watching this this action. Um, sort of unfold, right? And perhaps maybe Abram is, is, is even, you know, with the discernment of the Holy Spirit, maybe he's even realizing that this could potentially have some serious destruction uh, because it was common for the Canaanites and the Perizzites to have conflict. It was common for them to be in conflict. It was their nature, but it wasn't, you know, Abram was like protecting, like, I don't want them to see that followers of God respond the same way when it comes to disputes and discord. And I just think it's an appropriate place to just say to everybody in the house who would say, I'm a follower of Christ, that there are people who watch how we respond in the workplace, in our homes, out in the marketplace. There are people who are watching to see what truly is the difference between one who says they are a follower of Christ and one who says they're not. So after some time, Scripture says, finally, after Abram had had enough, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. Abram put up with as much as he possibly could, and he got to a point where he had to step up. And he tells his nephew, who I'm sure he loves, and maybe he's doing this for his brother who's no longer there. Maybe many of you have maybe even done that or would do that if your son, if your nephew, if your brother died and, and, and your nephew there, you just kind of want to kind of just protect him, make sure he's good. But because of these disputes, Abram gets to a place where he's saying, listen, this conflict cannot get the best of us. It cannot get the best of us. It cannot come between us. It cannot come between our people. It cannot be our story. It cannot be that. After all, we are, we are family. Abram is the eldest. He, 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 he has this, this promise, right? And so uh, he could he could say, you know what, Lot, you're kind of riding on my tail, on my, on my coattail. Like, this is my promise. God gave this to me. I need you to get yours, and I need you to go home. Like, like you are, you're, you're, you know, you, you're the reason why there's not enough. If, if your animals weren't here, if your people weren't here, if your tents weren't here, we'd have the space that we need. You've actually caused this issue. I need, he, Abraham didn't respond like that. He didn't respond like that at all. As a matter of fact, here's his response. The whole countryside, he's looking at his nephew Lot, says, the whole countryside is open to you. Take a look, Lot. You see the land. It's all open to you. Matter of fact, I'm giving you first choice. Take the choice of any section of the land you want, and then we will separate. He tells his nephew, Lot, listen, here's how we're going to fix this problem. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pick the, the portion of land that you want. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. But we are going to solve this today in a way that honors God. There are spectators watching how we settle these types of issues and we will separate. And I love how this is in here because this shows that many times someone who has maybe this peacemaker heart, someone who has this ability to just kind of be soft and see both sides of the picture, you know, many times they can be looked at like, like their meekness is some sign of weakness, but it's actually not. Meekness is not a weakness. It's the very opposite of that. It's the very opposite of that. He, he steps up to the place and says, oh, we will, we are going to go our own way. That's the right thing to do. Abram is courageous enough to make the right decision. He sees both sides of the story, knows that there's people watching. He brings this conflict to a place of agreement, which I think is spectacular. And I think the, the question looking at Abraham as he works through this would be this. 
Why would he, Abram, why would he do that? Why would he give Lot best? Why would he give Lot first choice? Why would he, why would he go about handling this conflict this way? The promise is Abram's. The call is on Abram's life. This is a thing between God and Abram. This has nothing to do with Lot. Why would Abram come to this kind of solution? You know why? Because God made Abram a peacemaker. That's who God wired Abram to be. And we just saw a beautiful picture of a peacemaker when a peacemaker is very healthy. You see, Abram is what we have in our guide as the number nine, the peacemaker. A very healthy peacemaker. Because we see that healthy peacemakers step up and between opposition for the sake of harmony. They have this God-given radar to assess people and situations. Like they can see both sides of the story. Healthy nines, healthy peacemakers, they have this ability to see both sides of the picture. For the sake of peace, where, where if challengers see black and white, we learned last week, well, peacemakers, they can see gray. They see gray. If, if challengers fly at 10,000 feet, maybe peacemakers fly at 30,000 feet. Like they just have a bigger picture. Maybe Abraham, maybe Abram in his, in his thoughts as he prayed about approaching Lot, maybe he actually considered their witness. Maybe he thought this decision's bigger than just this decision. Like there are people watching, looking to see the difference between those who call themselves children of God and those who say they're not. And so maybe Abraham had this ability to see the bigger picture. And that's what healthy nines bring to the table. They have this ability to see the bigger picture, to make the right choices. They're courageous enough to stand between opposition and do the right thing, which we love about them. We see Abram stand between himself and Lot. We see Abram stand between his people and Lot's people. All while a curious, wicked crowd of spectators are watching this action unfold. Abram brings peace and harmony to this family feud. Who else would you say is a peacemaker? Who is, in your opinion, the ultimate peacemaker? As Neil came and transitioned us into a time of communion, which I thought was so fitting for this message, you see this beautiful picture of a very healthy peacemaker. And what you're going to learn through this series is that Jesus is actually every single one of these in the healthiest forms. That's why we are on a journey to be like Jesus. We are on a journey to be Christ-like, to embody the very best that we can, to, to search our hearts, to examine our hearts, to become aware of our own behaviors so that we can shine a very bright light to this world. Jesus, if you said Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, you're absolutely right. God was glorified when Jesus waived his right to an existence that no human suffering or trial knew. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. The Bible says that that is why he, Jesus, is the one who mediates mediates standing between, mediates a new covenant between God and people. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator, capital M, referencing Jesus. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile, bring together God and humanity. That the man is Christ Jesus. Jesus is 
the ultimate peacemaker. He is our ultimate example of bringing peace to difficult situations. And listen, we are blessed with the opportunity to have difficult situations on a daily basis. Like you work with people who give you an opportunity to utilize what you're learning today. Tomorrow you will think about this moment when you are given the opportunity to bring peace and harmony to the office. To stand between. To see a bigger picture for the sake of understanding and unity. And as Neil gave us a few rules, uh, and, and these are very important for us to know, especially in the context of our groups. And our GLs will do a very good job of keeping our conversations guarded and safe and allowing everyone to have an opportunity to share and to be heard. But just a few rules. Just, just We, we just want to make sure we're all aware of these things. The first one would be is that we don't want to tell other people what they are. Like we want others to discover this for themselves. Go online, take your assessment, get the book. You know, there's a lot of resources online. Discover this stuff for yourself. We're not going to go around saying, oh, I know exactly what you are. Based on how you're acting right now, this is exactly what you are. We're not going to do that. Secondly, let's not pigeonhole people. In other words, uh, you may become aware of a personality type that someone else is. And so every time they do or say something, you're going to say, well, that's because you're a peacemaker. That's why you do that. And lastly, and maybe more importantly, we're not going to let this become an excuse for our poor behavior. We're not going to say, well, I did it because God made me a peacemaker, and that's what we do. We avoid. We're not going to do those things. We're not going to, we're not going to let that happen. We are, we are truly going to do our very best to, to chase after Christ and to take on his character. So let's take a, a closer look at peacemakers. First of all, peacemakers make our world and our church a better place. They do. Peacemakers make our church and our world a better place. When healthy, they bring harmony to situations that seem irreconcilable. They, they mediate two opposing parties into agreement and make unbelievable team players. They make unbelievable uh, spouses. They make unbelievable leaders and they make fantastic friends. Uh, to be healthy in whatever personality type that you are really is to be like Christ. We are pursuing Christ. We are pursuing Jesus first and foremost, and that's exactly why we are doing this teaching series. A few things that you might hear peacemakers say, they certainly feel this, but peacemakers sound like, the outdoors soothe me. They love being outdoors. And I sat with a nine, Sean, uh, just the other day, and, and one thing that Sean and I both like is we both enjoy to play golf. However, golf means something different to the both of us. For Sean, he said, years ago, I stopped keeping score. That's not why I go out and play golf. I actually go out and play golf because I love being outside. I love to take in the scenery. I love the fresh air. I love the walk. That's why I play golf. And I said, that's exactly why I don't play golf. I play golf to keep score. I don't care what it looks like. I want to keep score. I want to know how well I'm doing and I want to win. That's the difference between a three, me, and a nine, Sean. The outdoors soothe me. Secondly, you might hear them say, I don't think of myself as being very important. That's how a peacemaker can feel when they're not healthy. They can feel like they are not very important. I'm married to a peacemaker, so a lot of this makes some sense to me. I'm not a peacemaker, so it's quite difficult to sometimes speak uh, from their perspective. The next thing they uh, sound like is, I'll do almost anything to avoid conflict. They will, they will actually occupy themselves with something else, so that way what they should be doing, they don't have time to do. I heard a nine say that. I don't know if that's true. If you're a nine and you say that's true, people seem to want me to be more decisive. I had a good example for this, but my wife told me I could not share it. But nines sometimes can need a little nudge or so as to making some 
decisions. The core values of a peacemaker, core values. These are the things that we love about peacemakers. Peacemakers, they're calm and collected. I mean, they're just, they're just right there in the middle, man. They, they, don't, they don't get too crazy and they don't get too low. Like, like they just have this ability to kind of maintain. They're calm and they're collected. They have this, you know, this innate ability to diffuse conflict. We saw this in the life of Abram, this ability to diffuse conflict. Like he actually brought great resolution to a problem that could potentially really be destructive, not just for themselves, but even to their witness, peacemakers. We love, we love your ability to diffuse conflict. Peacemakers are very likable. People just like to be around a peacemaker. They just enjoy being around peacemakers. You're, you're easy to be around if you're a peacemaker. And lastly, peacemakers are motivated by this need for peace and harmony. And boy, did we see that come through in the story with Abram and Lot. Boy, do we see that in Jesus' life. Everywhere that he go, he is motivated for peace and harmony. I mean, ultimately, that's what takes him to the cross, was his need for peace and harmony from between God and all of humanity. It's exactly what we see come through um, in that. Last week, Neil mentioned that in this journey of being more like Christ, it is so important that we take time to do some self-examination, right? Some self-examination because we truly want to have some some self-awareness. Like it's important for you to maybe know how you come off toward other people. If you want to grow, if you want to bring about you know, more Christ-like behavior. Some self-examination is very important. That's why we allow the scripture to speak to our hearts. He also shared last week some acronym. Do you remember the acronym? So he first talked that we've got to be cautious that when we get into moments of stress, it can bring about very unhealthy behaviors. Do you remember that? So I couldn't find an acronym, and since he made up his own acronym, I thought I'm going to make up mine. So here's my acronym for stress. Sick and tired, ready to eat a lot, sleep forever, and slap somebody. That's what stress will do to you. It'll get you sick and tired, ready to eat a lot, sleep forever, and or slap somebody. But the real acronym that he used, and we're going to stay consistent with that, is HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. We do need to take a moment and, and, and really just talk through this. And this is, this, is, this is appropriate for all numbers, for all personality types. When you are hungry, when you are angry, when you are lonely, and when you are tired... We have to be so careful. We have to be alert and aware that those four things can truly cause us to slip into very unhealthy behaviors. Every number, regardless of which one, every behavior, we can slip into unhealthy behaviors. And I'll tell you, destruction comes from that. Discord comes from that. It's not good for any of us. So as we become more self-aware... One thing to note would be when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, and you will get hungry, and you will be angry, and when you feel lonely, and when you feel tired, we need to be aware of those moments, we need to have some deep breaths, and we need to do our very best to honor God with our behavior. As I sat with Sean, I asked Sean, Sean, what do you feel the childhood message is of a peacemaker. What do you think the childhood message is of a, chi- uh, of a, of a peacemaker? And he said, my presence and opinion does not matter. I thought, Sean, have you wrestled with that? Oh yeah, all the time. All the time. That takes a lot of work for me. I know it's a lie. I know that it's not true, but I wrestle with that. Sean's a very intelligent Fantastic husband, great father. He's a great dude. And he wrestles with this. So that means that every peacemaker in this house today, perhaps maybe you wrestle with this as well. First of all, identify that it is not true. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not what God thinks about you. It's not what other people think about you. 
as I was sitting with Sean talking through some of this peacemaker stuff, he said, you know what's funny is that every number, regardless of what number you are, every number shoots themselves in the foot. Here I am as a nine. I have this longing to be known. I just have a longing to be known. And then I get invited to something where someone wants me to be a part of it. And I don't go because I feel like no one would care if I'm there or not. He's like, you see how it kind of works against? That's the battle that I have within me all the time. He goes, and I think every number shoots themselves in the foot. We just need to be more aware. We do have a longing as as peacemakers to be known. That means you're going to have to step out, outside of the lies, and allow people to express their value of you in their life to show you that your presence actually does matter. We do want you to speak up. And I think uh, we would all be better um, for it. Some core fears. Being in conflict, peacemakers hate conflict. Hate conflict. Peacemakers hate tension. They just hate to be in those moments. And, you, you know, my, my, my wife will say that when, she, when she's having these types of feelings, like she can actually feel it in her body. She's like, I can actually feel my shoulders and my neck tense up when I feel like there's conflict in the room. Even if she's not associated in the conflict, she just has this, again, they have this, this crazy radar system that helps them kind of evaluate the room and people, and they feel it in their body. And another one is Discord. They just don't like conflict um, of any kind. So a peacemaker's transformation. Be aware of numbing strategies. I don't know what those would be for you, but be aware of numbing strategies. Secondly, don't be afraid to have opinions. We actually want your opinions. Speak up. Have the courage, just as Abram did with Lot. He, 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 he presented the, the, the resolve. He presented the solution. You remember when he was bold enough to say, and we will separate. Resist passive-aggressive behaviors. That whole acronym, it's kind of all throughout the reading of a peacemaker. They can be very passive-aggressive. Practice saying no. Maybe it's healthy for you to begin to practice to say no. Oftentimes you get caught in saying yes when inside you don't want to do that. Your voice matters. Don't be overly agreeable and pursue the task. Pursue the task. Another reading in the peacemakers is that they can be procrastinating. Not that they don't have something to do. They just don't want to do what they have to do, so they'll pay attention to something else. Pursue the thing that you actually need to do. Peacemakers, one thing that we know for sure is that this church is a better church because of you. We love the fact that this church is filled with peacemakers. You make us a better church. You make this world a better place. We want you to to speak out. We want you to lead boldly. We we appreciate your ability to see the bigger picture. We do. You make us better because of that. When you speak up, when you share what God is speaking to you, it helps us. We need peacemakers to rise up and to be courageous and to share their opinion. So we encourage you, speak up, lead boldly, and continue to challenge us to enjoy the moment, to enjoy the scenery, and challenge us to become a better church. So the big so what? Let's wrap up this morning by saying this. Peacemakers, they step into difficulty for the sake of understanding and unity. That's the peacemakers. We love the peacemakers. And now the big now what is something that we've all been doing. We'll do this every week. It's not going to be easy, but it will have a great return. And it is this, to ask somebody who you trust, this could be your group leader, This could be a family member. This could be a friend, someone within your godly community who cares for you, who you feel safe and challenged by. Maybe you get to a place where you ask this question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? How do I come off? What's it like to be on the other side of me? Last week, we shared a song that was written specifically to the challengers. 
There's a song this week we want to share with you that's written specifically to the peacemaker. So I just want to invite you to sit back, take a look at the screens, and enjoy this song. Who am I to say what any of this means? I have been sleepwalking since I was 14 Now as I write my song I retrace my steps Honestly, it's easier to let myself Till I check my vibes, I'm choked up by realize I've been left in half myself for more than half my life.
so maybe the peacemakers in the house today, the thought that I had as this was playing was, maybe you need to be reminded that you are so loved by God. Maybe because of life, circumstances, stress, maybe you have found yourself stuck in this vicious cycle of unhealthy behaviors and seeing the other side, the potential of healthy behavior with the personality that God has given to you, maybe just for a moment today you had the thought, I want to be more like Christ. I want to better utilize the giftings and the personality that God gave me when he created me. And I just felt like saying, for every peacemaker in this house who would say, I'm not living in the healthy I'd spend too much time living in the unhealthy. I want you to know God loves you. Today you can make a choice to walk away from that and say, I'm going to do all I can to pursue Jesus, to get out of life everything he intended me to get out. I want to live healthy. I want to live in a healthy cycle of behaviors. And I'm not a, I'm not a nine, but I feel the same way with where I land in this thing. It's not fun to read the unhealthy behaviors of your personality type. No number enjoys reading that portion, just so you know. Lord, we thank you that your presence is in this room. Your Holy Spirit is here. Your Holy Spirit's working in us. We thank you for the example of Abram, but more importantly, Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for this model of being a peacemaker, Thank you that you stood between God and all of humanity and you brought peace to us. That peace caused you to go to the cross and to die a very gruesome death. But Lord, three days later, you rose from the dead. And because of that, we all have a blessed hope. So God, we thank you for that great sacrifice. We do pray a special prayer over all of those who would identify as peacemakers. Lord, we want to live in the healthy behaviors of a peacemaker. They make this world a better place. They make this church a better place. In Jesus' name we pray and together everybody said. Amen.